you will please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to read about this cornerstone. So I invite you to grab a Bible in front of you or turn a screen on. We preach expositionally here at Cornerstone, and so we go to the Scriptures, and that's where we find the truth. And so I'm going to read Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22 to give it context, but our passage of study is going to be verses 19 through 22. We'll finish out chapter 2. So imagine with me here for a minute, if you will, uh, this this letter to the Ephesians that was given in its original context, that you're the church in Ephesus, and you're receiving this letter from Paul, and he's giving you instructions and encouragement, yet we're also to understand that today, in our context, what is the message here for the church, for us today? This is God's holy word to us this morning. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Make us to know your ways, O Lord, paths. Lead us in your truth, the truth of your scriptures, and teach us. For you are the God, you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all the day long. Amen. One of uh, the family favorites in our house is a book series called The Boxcar Children. If you don't have the boxcar children for your kids or grandkids, you need to get them. There's like 150 of them, so it's plenty of reading material. But the boxcar children starts off as four orphans who have no home, have 
nowhere to belong, no place to go. But they're making their way to live with their grandfather. But they wrongly assumed that their grandfather didn't want them. He wasn't real interested in them. So they went to live in a railroad boxcar. Sounds pretty exciting. But the series begins with the, the children wanting and longing for something. And what they're wanting and what they're longing for is to belong. Will somebody take us? Will somebody make us theirs? They want a family. They want parents, shepherds. This is true of us all. We all want to belong. We all have a deep desire to belong. In Christ, we do belong to something. We do have a belonging. In Christ, we have membership into the glorious and wonderful institution called the church. The church of God. And there's only one thing you must do to to join the church and belong to the church. You must repent of your sins and you must believe in the king and the head of the church. And that is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, if you are in Christ, you do belong to someone and you do belong to something. You You do have an identity, a belonging in Christ. And so as we just read in this entire passage, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, we see that it's it's all one thought. It's all one idea. It's all one piece of encouragement, one unified theme that the apostle is giving to the Ephesian church and thereby to the church as all of us as well. And this one unified theme is that In Christ, we're all one. In Christ, we're all one. We have unity in Christ. By the blood of Jesus Christ and by his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus has reconciled God to man and he has reconciled man to one another. And now all who belong to the household of God have their identity in Jesus Christ who is their Lord and Savior. This is the main thing of this passage. This is the grand point that the Apostle Paul is emphasizing here. Our identity is now to be found in Christ and Christ alone. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's no longer walls of hostility and separation. We are now all to be one and found to be one in Christ. We belong to him. This is what the Ephesian Christians needed to hear. And this is what we need to hear. Our identity is to be found in Christ and Christ alone. In Christ, we who were far off have been brought near by his blood. This is what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a little Christ. A Christian is like Christ. A Christian identifies with Christ. 
This is so important in our day and age when we are facing a massive identity crisis as a culture. I mean, think about this. Think about all the things that we're being told by our culture and by the world every day that we need to identify with. You need to be, your identity is to be found in your sexuality. No, 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 that's not it. No, your identity is to be found in your political party affiliation. That is where it really is. No, 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 that's not it. No, you're to identify yourself by your career. That's who you are. You're only what your job is. Or, if I can get a little closer to home, your college football team. Now, that is where we really know who you are. Or what sport you play. I mean, we're constantly being told this is what your identity is. But the Bible says all of this is nonsense. Complete and utter nonsense. Paul has been saying over and over here, Christ is our peace. Christ is our hope. He is our Savior. He is the only thing that will satisfy. We are to be found in Him. And so, in wrapping up this argument, this passage in verse 19, he says, Consequently, or so then, Because of all that we have learned here in verses 11 through 18. All that Christ has done for us. So then, what is the point? Where is the apostle going here with his argument? It is this. God is building a new place. God has a permanent identity for us. He has a dwelling for His presence, an institution that Christians can identify with. That is the church. He's talking about the church here. So in this passage, verses 19 through 22, we're going to learn three truths about the church. I know I threw a lot of you off with two points last week. We're back to our normal rhythm of three points, so take heart. Three truths here. The the people of the church, the foundation of the church, and the purpose of the church. Now, if you followed along in the scripture reading in verses 19 through 22, you will notice that the word church was not used in this passage. So how do we know that this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about? Well, through the context of the whole book, Paul will talk about the church. And it's in a sense, he's kind of teasing us. He's kind of getting us ready. But make no mistake about it, he's talking about the church. The household of God. The called out ones. The holy ones. And in the next chapter, he will make it clear that this is the grand work that God is doing. It is through the church. So the first thing we must look there in verse 19 is the people of the church. The church is a household. It's a household. It has family members. The church is a family. And those in the family, those members of the family, are those who have trusted in Christ and believe in Him by faith. The people of the church are not only family members, but the apostle here says that they are citizen saints. Citizen saints, if you're in the church, then you belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. 
the church are the, the holy ones, the saints, the called out ones, those who have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ and belong to him. That is the people of the church. And so this verse is extremely important so that we may understand our identity. Paul states, you are, very imperatively, you are these things. He states, you are, and who you are and what you are is of utmost importance, and we must find our identity here in this teaching. And this is why the teaching of the church is so important, because the Bible answers the ultimate questions of life, does it not? The Bible alone gives us our meaning and our purpose. Here, the Bible teaches us our identity. In Christ, we belong. We all want to belong. We've established that. And in Christ, we have a belonging. He says, you are no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. You're no longer lost. You're no longer hopeless. We are no longer orphaned children. In Christ, we belong. So I ask you this morning, do you belong? Do you belong? Do you come to Cornerstone this morning for, for any, any church that preaches the gospel for that matter? And do you, do you feel at home? Do you belong here? Is this your home? Is this your family? This is why the body of Christ, the family of God, the church, is so important. This is God's great plan for the local church. It is a place where we can find and know and, and have our identity. It's a place where we can be loved and, and understood. And have that common bond in Christ. This is why church membership is important. And even attendance at worship, preaching to the choir this morning. This is why it's so important. Because we need to be together as a family. We need to be together as a household of God. And belong to one another. You know, in the ancient world... Citizenship was a real big deal, and it's even a big deal in our time as well, but you see it talked about over and over in the scriptures. The Apostle Paul noted his dual citizenship in, in several locations because citizenship was really important, and the Jews took great pride in their Jewish citizenship and their belonging to the nation of Israel. And the Ephesian Christians, the Gentiles, those from other different na nations might have asked, where do we belong? How do we fit in with all this? We're not Jewish. And so the great teaching here is that we have an even greater citizenship than what nation or what country we identify with. That those who belong to Christ now belong to him and to the church and the church identifies that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
where the church triumphant will gather together in eternity, praising the one true and living God. The United States may go go away in our lifetimes, but in Christ we still have a citizenship. In Christ we identify here on this earth with the local church, the called out ones, the family of God, the household of God. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, Paul says. The people of the church are those who have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Those who belong to God and identify with Christ. They are citizens of his kingdom. They are saints, members of his household. Do you belong? Do you belong? The second truth that is taught here is that of the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, ended his great sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 with that great teaching illustration of the man who built his house upon the rock and he was preaching and teaching about the importance of a a foundation, a rock-solid foundation that we must build our lives upon. If a building does not have a solid foundation like sand, it will not last. There's no way. In the same way, Jesus is building his church, and his church must last. And therefore, the church has to have a solid foundation like building on a rock. So there are two important elements to this rock-solid foundation according to Paul here in verse 20. And those two important elements of this rock-solid foundation are doctrine and leadership. Doctrine and leadership. The first important element of this foundation is doctrine. Paul states that the church is to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Why does he say that? What he is saying here is that the foundation, one of the building blocks of the church, is the teaching of the New Testament scriptures. The Bible, the books of the New Testament, they are the building blocks of the church. During his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus chose 12 men, 12 men who were set apart, who were designated to be apostles. An apostle, by definition from the scriptures, is one who was with Jesus, who was sent out by him, and who had actually seen the risen Christ. There were only 12 of them, but later we learned that Paul was one of them, and this was confirmed by the other apostles, because Jesus appeared to him in a special way, right? On the Damascus Road, and ordained him and called him to be an apostle. And so therefore the teaching, the doctrine set forth in the Gospels, in the letters and pastoral epistles of the New Testament that were written by the apostles or had that apostolic authority, they are the foundation on which Christ has built his church. They are our authority. This is the rock-solid truth. The foundation is set. It has been laid. It is closed. It cannot be added to. 
It is the apostolic authority that has set this truth. And so we must, that's why we must intently study the Scriptures. That's why this must be our foundation. This is why I would be a terrible motivational speaker if I just had to make it all up here this morning. We go to the Scriptures. We go to the truth that we may be firmly rooted and founded upon Christ in the teaching of His Word. But it is also built, this foundation is also built on the prophets. And that is an allusion here to the Old Testament. To all of the, the books of the Old Testament scriptures. Most of them written by the prophets. Those chosen by God to proclaim His word and teach His people. It is through the prophets that God revealed Himself and made Himself known to Israel. And the words of the prophets are foundational. So this is proof that this idea of the church is not really new. It's old. Because it's built upon that old foundation. That of the prophets in the Old Testament. So these are the two, these is the first important element. The second important element of this foundation is a cornerstone. A cornerstone. Does that name sound familiar to anybody here? cornerstone. The cornerstone in ancient times was one of the more integral parts of an ancient building and building design. Archaeologists have uncovered stones from some of the temple mounts, and some of these cornerstones were as large as a railroad boxcar. How on earth they chiseled that and moved that is beyond me. But it shows the great strength and the great foundation that a building was to be built upon. These stones would be the, the measuring point, point. The cornerstone would be the initial blocks of a building. They would be that integral part of building a firm, lasting, solid foundation. But in the Old Testament, the cornerstone was also designation to be given to one who was the Messiah. As we read in our call to worship in our scripture reading in Isaiah and the Psalms, Christ is the cornerstone. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the king and head of the church. And so our church, this body, this family here is called Cornerstone. Because Christ is our cornerstone. We are going to speak much about Jesus here. We're going to talk about him a lot. If you walk away from here and not learning about Christ, then we have not done our job. But we strive to talk about him all that we can. He is the everlasting foundation. He is the most important thing. He is our cornerstone. He's going to be the focal point of our worship. He's going to be the focal point of our singing. He's going to be the focal point of our Sunday school. And he's going to be absolutely the focal point of vacation Bible school and how rowdy and crazy it's going to be next week. Because he's the cornerstone. He's everything. And we're going to remain committed to the scriptures. They are going to be the foundation of this church because they're all about Christ.
Christ and his word is the lasting foundation, and that is more important now than ever. We are going to have to maintain this firm foundation now more than ever from a culture, from a world that insists on tearing it down. Because there's going to be nothing from asked from you but compromise from here on out. Are you going to be committed to this foundation that is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and his word? But you must ask yourselves, because people make up the church, what is your foundation? What are you building your life upon? The third truth taught here in this passage is the purpose of the church there in verses 21 through 22. What is the goal? What is the purpose of the church? What is God doing in all this? It is this. It is that the church might be the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, Do you not know that you, that you, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. As God's presence once inhabited the tent of the meeting, and later the temple built by David, that Shekinah glory that was there, so God now dwells in his people in the church, by the Holy Spirit. God is building a structure. He's building a building. And it's growing into a temple, Paul says. And it's one that is not built by human hands. But upon closer look, we see that it's not really a building at all, is it? It's flesh and blood. This church is made up of people. It's made up of souls, of those who have trusted in the blood of Christ. The church is the temple. You are the temple. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? God lives in us. He dwells in his church. The people. Is that your experience now? Do you feel encouraged when you're in the presence of God and his people? Is that not why we are here gathered together as a family to encourage and spur one another on and to love and good deeds and to praise the Lord Jesus together? Because we are the church. People are the church, not building. God works through people, not buildings. God's people are the church. We are the dwelling place of God by His Holy Spirit. That is a phenomenal thing to me. I don't get it. But it's true. This is His purpose. This is the goal of the church. God is building up for Himself a people. And He will dwell in them. And they will bring Him glory forever and ever and ever. And this is the ultimate goal. 
Listen to this from Revelation 7 from the Apostle John. As he said, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Not even a deacon could count all these people. And they were from every nation. And they were from every tribe and peoples, and languages, and they were standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. This is the goal of the church. This is the purpose of the church. To be the dwelling place of God. To be the place where he will receive glory and we will praise him forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, God is doing and he has done a wonderful and mighty thing. And it is all in Christ alone. These things that we're talking about here. These things that we're discussing and studying. They are the most important things in life. They are. And if you're not going to hear that here, where else are you going to hear that? It is so easily to be distracted by our jobs and by the news and by our hobbies and by running from one thing to the next. But I would be lying to you if I did not tell you that these are the ultimate things. These are the lasting things. This is the foundation. And so do you belong to Christ? Do you belong to Him? Are you in His church? Is Jesus the one that you praise? Is Jesus the one you adore? Is He the one for whom you hunger? I do hope so. I do hope so and pray that for you. Let us be the church, the dwelling place of God, and to give him praise forever. Let's pray. Father, as we confessed earlier in the service, we we have put our hope, we have looked for satisfaction in so many other things. But here it is. Here is the truth. Here's the foundation. Here's the cornerstone. Here is your plan, your goal, your purpose for your church. And that is that we might be the dwelling place and that Christ would be our cornerstone. Let us trust in him and him alone. Lord, help us to see that all other things in life are sinking sand apart from Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you that we are in him and that we are being built together into a dwelling place for you, O God, by your spirit. So come, dwell in us, and help us to praise you forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.